0: YVR Remo show listeners. What's up guys? What's happening? How are you out there? I hope everybody's just nodding their heads saying I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic because I'm listening to another episode of the YVR Remo show. Well we're excited to have you and I am you know interested to hear some feedback from the episode that we were posting today. You know on this uh, episode and series we try not to get too political And in this episode, we try to stay as centered as we can in the conversation, but We talked a lot about now that the Liberal uh, government is back in power in Canada, what their housing platform plans are and what we predict as what could happen. What's the outcome going to be? How is it going to impact you? How is it going to impact lending? There's a lot to cover here, a lot to cover. You're going to want to listen to this because if you want to be informed, you want to know about what could be coming down the pipe, which will help you to make good decisions When it comes to your real estate ventures today, you're going to know more than everybody else when you're sitting around a table or dinner chatting about the upcoming opportunities in real estate. Now, as always, we have one price for admission if you join us on the YBR Remote Show, and it's not money. Uh, It's actually a review. We would love if you're enjoying the series and if you're enjoying the podcast for you to hop on over to iTunes. You can do it right on your phone, your tablet, jump on the computer, go to podcastapple.apple.com, pump in our name and give us a five-star rating. That would mean the world to us. It's helpful to get our name out there and share with more people. So that is the only thing that we'll ever ask for. And if you do that, Send us a screenshot to our Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. or at the YVR Remo Show. Make sure you're following those, by the way. And we'll make sure to give you a delicious mug, or well, not a delicious mug, but a Thrive mug along with a uh, delicious uh, coffee as well from our friends over at Republica Coffee Roasters. So, Without further ado, this should be a great episode. I'm excited to hear your feedback. Send us the feedback to those channels, the Instagram accounts. And if you want to search up a little bit more about working with the partners here at Thrive, go to our website, thrivemortgage.ca. Fill out the form and reach out to you as soon as we possibly can. Again, make it an incredible day. Enjoy the episode, and we'll see you around the bend. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. All right. We are back again. Um, We're not deflated. We're not defeated, even though uh, some feel that way after the most recent election. And we're not a political podcast. We're going to try to keep a lot of our our own opinions, although some might slip out in this episode, uh, aside. But it's it's safe to say that, you know, with the Liberal government in in power now or to a degree uh, having a, a lion's share of the seats, it's something that we need to start discussing their actual housing policy and program. We need to start looking into what it is that they suggested they were going to do and and how they're going to either a fix housing in Canada or make suggestions to improve it now what we did is we pulled out a list of some of the bigger points or points that stood out to us as important and impactful and we're going to break down basically each of these points today and give an understanding as to what they are from our perspective as well as more importantly just give you some feedback on what we see happening going forward into um, 2021, 2022, 2023, whenever this next election is at this point right now. Um, yeah, really, I don't even know where to go with this to start off. I mean, guys, where do we even start? The,
1: the government obviously has a lot of promises, as did any party that was you know, seeking majority uh, rule of our country here. But unfortunately, a lot of these promises will probably go undelivered just because of the nature of of our of our system here I mean, having a minority government uh, the house will have to vote on these on all of these items if they do want to put them forward so um the good news is is you know the liberals won't really be able to you know mandate a lot of these items without the support of the rest of uh you know the parties that are have been elected um, but the bad news is, is we're really just in the exact same spot we were two weeks ago and so we spent a lot of money on an election and went through all of that process for really the exact same result so it'll be interesting to see if any of these items even get pushed through but um, definitely worth talking about some of them are interesting to say the least but uh, it's definitely worth talking about these matters and, and educating ourselves around them yeah i mean i think we might want to
2: call most of these wishes at this point And the unfortunate part is, you know, we're in this business, we're in this industry, so we can kind of understand and gauge most of what they're trying to achieve or what these promises are. Um, And, you know, from the, from your first glance, a lot of these look very appealing, right? Like it looks like it would really, really help locals and, you know, maybe dropping property values or, or maybe helping people get into the market. But, so many of these promises, like the stars have to align you have to get so many people uh, on board to actually put one of these promises through and make it happen so there's a lot there we we picked you know maybe ten items to talk about um, the first one and it's pretty topical because the market that we 're in right now is you know subject free offers and people going in not knowing what other people are offering uh, you know you could have in today 's market you could quite literally have One person writing an offer at asking price, and you could have another person writing an offer at $200,000 over asking price because they have no clue what that other person has offered. So the Liberals' Home Buyer Bill of Rights uh, is supposed to be banning blind bidding, uh, transparency for sale prices, and a legal right to a home inspection again the first two items on that list i don't know how that would work i don't know how it would transpire how they would regulate that i do agree with the home inspection though for sure i don't think people should be put into a position where they have to write an offer uh, sight unseen or without an inspection and you know you move into that property maybe you don't have the cash flow to to fix a major major issue with the home, right? So I agree with that component of that.
0: It's fair to say that a lot of the uh, rules that came down as far as the actual uh, consumer housing portion of this, whether it's the blind bidding, the home inspection, or a few other ones that we'll talk about in a few minutes here. It doesn't seem like there was a lot of research that went into a lot of these topics. It was kind of like, hey, this is something that there's a subset of people complaining about. Let's make a policy around it. That's why it's really difficult to understand how they're going to put these things into play. Uh, As soon as this policy and this housing platform was announced, immediately uh, every real estate board in the country stood up and basically got in arms. And I mean, People can argue about the fact that real estate agents have an interest in it, which of course they do because they make a commission. But let's be honest here: the people who are winning typically are the sellers uh, of the homes who are not complaining about the price points that they're selling at. Personally, I don't think that it would be nearly as impactful as what they're suggesting. Because the reality is, is if you have ten people bidding on a home, if they know that that other guy's bidding X, they're they're still gonna bid a higher amount. Now, maybe it's not gonna be $200,000 over, but those are unique circumstances. If you talk to a lot of people when it comes to a lot of these bids, especially the, the quote-unquote blind bids or or blind offers, the reality is, is they're usually very comparable. They're not that far from each other in most circumstances, tens of thousands. Uh, rarely are we talking about someone bidding a hundred, two hundred thousand $200,000. Those are so unique. So I don't know, I feel like this one here personally is not gonna even, it, it's not gonna do anything in the grand scheme of things as far as the housing market is concerned at all, but I am 100% in agreement regarding the home inspection. Um, that's one of those things that I feel like people should have a, a right to, but not that they can just back out blindly because I don't think that should be just a pull the shoot situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, and we're talking about a, this in a, in a hot market, like if this was a not a hot market, now we know that there are no offers on the property and that just puts, you know, a lot of power in the buyer's court. This could be very detrimental to the seller. You're basically forcing people to auction their home. This is basically an auction, like a process. And I I don't know, I, I couldn't disagree more with this. Yeah, I mean, and Alex, you brought up a good point that a lot of people think that
2: realtors and mortgage brokers just love these markets when it's this busy. I can assure you that nobody enjoys this because, you know, as a realtor, they're writing on 10 properties before their client actually gets one like it is super inefficient uh, in these markets because you are doing 10 times the work uh, and maybe getting a deal done right like there's a lot of people that go through this market and they end up writing their seventh offer and not getting the property and they're just like i'm done like i'm not gonna do it anymore right you think the realtor enjoys that there's no chance so these markets are not enjoyable for anybody other than like alex said the seller but, I mean, if you're the seller, you got to go somewhere
0: else, right? <laughs> My biggest question about this is how do they actually even police this? I, I, don't, I couldn't imagine how they would police this. And what would be the cost and the time commitment uh, to put something like this into place and, and the impact of it? But hold on a second here. Before we talk about cost, we just spent 600 whatever million million on an election that didn't need to happen. So it's obvious that this government is okay with spending money on things that may not really be impactful to the average uh, consumer. Anyway, <laughs> we could, uh, you guys can tell how we feel about a lot of these things. Um, let's, let's Actually, while we're on that topic, let's let's just get straight into some other residential housing-related pieces. One of those things would be the anti-flipping tax uh, that they're looking at doing. So if they're looking at changing how offers are done and, and how houses are being held. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, a lot of our listeners know this, but the government started tracking down, at least the CRA started tracking down a few years ago. I think it was like 2015, 2016 on people who are quote unquote flipping properties, not once, but they were flipping them multiple times and not claiming the, uh, or paying their taxes, so to speak on, uh, the capital gains of that property, because it's generally speaking an investment. Um, so there are plenty of different scenarios and cases that have shown up where people have done buy, move in, buy, move in, buy, move in, or flip multiple properties over the course of 12 or 24 months where they have been taken to court and had to end up paying the tax and all the bills associated with that. So I'm not really honestly i'm not really sure what the uh how they could police this because if i move into a home and i decide to renovate it for myself yet i find it's not appropriate for my family is that going to be allowable what's reasonable what's not and how do we report that is going to be a question mark i don't think this even again i don't think this even has any impact on the marketplace especially not locally speaking Yeah, if anything, I would just
2: imagine there would be a higher tax in those scenarios, right? For that specific scenario where someone's renovated and they're selling within 12 months. Um, Which, I mean, currently we have capital gains. If you don't live in your primary residence for a full year, you pay capital gain on the profit.
1: So I would imagine it would just be a higher level of tax uh, in those situations. Next to impossible, the police. And uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, to to your point, the gray area would be. Well, the house wasn't suitable for my family, and and how to how to properly, you know, the what is that. that is yeah it's yeah. Just, I mean, and on the
2: topic of tax, you know, like there's been there's been talks of uh, like basically a capital gain tax on primary residence, and I feel like this this word tax just drives fear and it makes people think that the market is going to crash. But you know, like we live in a in a, a location where properties appreciate a lot, or they have over you know, the last. Quite a quite a while. You know, if somebody owns a property and it goes up in value and they sell and they they're hit with a tax, isn't it still worth it that you purchase that property? Like you're still walking away with a profit and you're paying a tax to the government, you're still walking away with more than you started with, and there's so many situations where people are not going to just pause on their plans, right? Like, they're still going to outgrow their first condo. They're going to outgrow their townhouse and need to get into a detached home. Even if these taxes come into play, I can't imagine that the market halts, which is the Liberals' plan, essentially, right? I think it just
0: becomes a cost of doing business. I mean, I think it's clear that the the government's mandate, at least the current government's mandate, is to... Uh, out-tax their spending Um, and you're right your tax shouldn't be a fear of doing something it should not create fear and moving forward I mean we buy real estate as an investment you have to pay tax because it's an investment It's income that you're earning so we just need to continue to get more creative and analyze our investments that way and could it have a long-term impact for sure Uh, but again, that's this government's mandate is to focus on the tax. So we just have to find different creative ways to get around that and just make sure to factor that into, uh, how we, how we run our business. No different than, and again, if you're buying real estate as an investment, you are running a business. We talk about this all the time. Uh, so whether you're running a business or you're investing in real estate as a business, it's just a factor to consider. And, uh, as frustrating as it can be, it's a cost to add up. Well, i mean like the whole theme of
1: all of this is is to basically slow the market down and create more opportunities with affordability for for people to be able to buy homes but like and you talk to anyone in the industry right now and it's the problem is inventory there's just not enough inventory so again these are all head scratchers in my opinion as we go through this and more and more we dive into this it's just a head scratcher it's like if we can just solve how to get some more inventory available. And, you know, I know there's a, there's a point here where we're going to get to about permit processing and just speeding up the process to actually build new homes. Um, yeah, I mean, you got six buyers bidding on a property and over uh, overspending. Well, they probably wouldn't do that if there were six homes that they
0: could adequately buy uh we wouldn't have these these issues right yeah absolutely absolutely so <laughs> we got to find some positive in here somewhere i feel like there's definitely some some form of positive in here why don't we talk uh why don't we talk a little about the cmhc piece because there's certainly some opportunities there. Now, I don't really understand the logic behind it, but it, it nonetheless, it's it's a consideration. Uh, CMHC is, propo- or, sorry, they're proposing to reduce uh, CMHC insurance premiums by 25%. Now, for those who don't know, if you're a first-time buyer buying a property uh, in Canada and you are, re- you're, if you're putting down, I shouldn't say if you're a first-time buyer, if you're any buyer buying a property in Canada and you're putting down 5%, you have to pay 4% of the loan balance as a premium to CMHC. Now, that's a lot. Think about that on a $500,000 mortgage. That's 20 grand to CMHC. The crazy thing about that is we have no idea where the money for CMHC goes and there's no transparency around it. They just pull money out. So this, in my opinion, is a good thing. Uh, And I will uh, chalk that one up to a win, although I feel like it's uh, unlikely to actually happen. Yeah. And I mean, while while we're on the topic of
2: CMHC, they're also suggesting that they increase the maximum purchase price from a million to 1.25 million, basically allowing insured mortgages to cap at a $1.25 million purchase price, which I think is absolutely needed, especially locally here. So that
1: would be a benefit for sure. Oh, gosh. I mean, that's probably not even high enough, to be honest. You see the increase in the market. Like that's that I mean, you're not keeping up. But yeah, it's positive to see that they're they're making a change or or considering a change to increase that. But uh, again, trying not to be negative here, but it's just not even close to being enough. Right.
0: Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. I was having this conversation with someone earlier today. I said, hey, in 2019, 1.25%, 1.25 million might have made a little bit of sense. In 2021, 1.5 is a starting point, and then it needs to be tied to inflation. And I don't understand why they can't tie it to a medium price point for a single family home or you know some form of a property to the point like uh, you know for example you know start at 1.25 but in, in the vancouver core with the, is the prices of x home or x type of property uh um going up to say 1.5 whereas maybe chilliwack is in the, on the 1.25 or something of that nature that, that makes sense to me because at the end of the day with the stress test being so darn hard and them not reducing the am- or increasing the amortization period like if you can qualify for it you can you can qualify for it these
1: politicians are clearly so full of themselves that they don't think it's going to get there. They don't think the inflation is going to keep on this trend. They're so confident in their policies and their changes that they don't want to admit that this inflation is going to continue at these historical rates. They think that these changes are are going to fix things so they don't have to tie it to inflation like that is their logic here. Like they actually think these changes are going to do something you know what i mean so it's just, right so
0: <laughs> so pump millions and millions into the economy yet the house prices will stay the same let's keep rising it down or exactly. keep, keep keep the the prices down we're getting fired up here this is getting good here let's keep let's one, keep going along this so one positive area that i, I wouldn't mind touching on is just the first-time home
1: buyers tax credit we it's this one kind of goes missed a lot i would say a lot of our first-time homebuyers probably didn't make this tax claim and and i th- it is positive to see that they are increasing it from 5000 to $10,000. And uh, maybe we can just dive into that one and toss that one around a little bit because that's obviously a positive to see that get doubled.
0: Well, they're proposing it to be doubled. Well, yeah. So this is a tax credit that you claim after you bought a home. Uh, speak to your accountant if you'd like to find out more. So if you bought a home in the last year or if you're an agent or you're someone who's talking to your clients, uh, they can claim this $5,000 exemption. So they're proposing that they would double it from $5,000 to $10,000. At $5,000, um, I believe the maximum that you can really get from a tax refund, at least according to uh, what we understand, is $750, which would mean that technically based on that logic at a $10,000 tax credit, what it would mean is The following year, you could get a tax credit of up to $1,500 based on the same logic, which isn't a lot of money, let's be honest here. But in the grand scheme of things, for a lot of people, that's a mortgage payment. So uh, that is nice to receive that back on your following uh, tax return uh, uh, the following year, I should say, after you bought your new home. Every dollar helps. It does. Speaking of uh, first-time buyers... There is an interesting proposal, and we don't understand the parameters around this proposal, but we're all for more tax-free opportunities for uh, first-time buyers in the market. So this one's really interesting for me, and I, I honestly, I struggle with it. Um, allow Canadians under 40 years old. That's the part that I struggle with. I don't see why we should have age discrimination, but allow Canadians under 40 years old. To save up to forty thousand dollars in what's being called a tax-free first-time first home savings account, and use the money to purchase a home. So, w- my basic understanding would be, you know, as opposed to an RRSP where you have to pay it back, they would use probably like a TFSA vehicle or some other type of vehicle that's again tax-free. It, it doesn't. I I, like, I have no idea what they're trying to do here or what the logic is. I think we need more details. Um, Derek, any thoughts? Have you seen anything else on this? I have not seen anything else other than what you just read.
2: And I think that's probably the extent of it, unfortunately. Um, but you know what, to give them a little bit of credit, at least they're trying. We'll, we'll wait and see how this unfolds and if it comes into play. But I'm sure there's some level of benefit there, uh, some, some level of tax savings. Uh, and if you can use that in conjunction with an RRSP, I mean, you know, now you're looking at up to $75,000 tax-free being drawn out uh, towards a home purchase. So um, I think, again, every dollar counts, and and hopefully this actually turns into something beneficial.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I, the, the one that really stuck out to me was this, uh, it, this um, renovation tax. So they called it uh, a multi-generational home renovation tax credit. That one was interesting. So basically what they're saying is for families who want to add a secondary unit to their home, for an immediate or extended family member to live in, these families will be able to claim a 15% tax credit up to $50,000 in renovation and construction costs. That's that's interesting to me. I mean, I I, per, I have a multi-generational home. My parents live in my suite. So I don't know if I can go back and <laughs> do some back claims on this stuff. But anyways, it, it's, it's cool to see. But the one thing that sticks out to me is like, how do you police this Specifically, like, how do we know that, you know, if I did this and my parents decided to move out in six months and then I put a regular normal tenant in there from the market, do I like, do I get clawed back or what does this look like? It just, again, it's another one that's I, I just don't understand how they would police that. It seems very difficult. The flaw that I see in this is, yes, we have a lot of issues with property
2: values and home ownership and, and first time buyers getting into the market. But we also have an issue with the rental market. And why does this have to be immediate or extended family? In my opinion, if you are going to put money into your property to create a rental suite for whoever, it could be an immigrant, it could be your neighbor, it could be your mom. Like, how does that, how and why does that change, right? Like, I feel like you should be able to absolutely take advantage of this tax credit if you've put. A legal rental suite into your
0: property and you're creating more housing for people on the topic of the housing piece i mean we've seen some, some we'll talk a little bit about that obviously as we continue on here but i couldn't agree more i i think ultimately there's going to be a way to i we haven't seen it come to fruition but if we do there's definitely going to be some ways to get around this and they have to think bigger picture here there's no doubt about it which is at the end of the day we're putting a family in a place in a location and it's benefiting both parties from that perspective. If you're claiming rental income, then you're claiming rental income. And the reality is that anybody that would collect the tax credit understands if they were to do it from rental purposes, well, they're gonna be under the watchful eye of... Uh, the CRA so they're going to have to claim their rental income some people just take cash obviously so I I would agree with you Derek I'm going to side with you from that perspective I think this one's a big flop uh, for me again once again now now I'll play devil's advocate to myself here Dean just mentioned it could be uh, impactful to him but uh, the vast majority of the people that we work with as much as we like to think there's multi-generational families doing that can't afford this type of a situation in the lower mainland and a small tax credit like that isn't going to make that big of a difference. So. Curious to uh, see how that one plays out Well yeah, I mean
1: it's just super hypocritical when you look at the the incentives that you know developers are seeing to build purpose-built rental buildings which you know we can talk yeah. about in a later episode like significant incentives to build a purpose-built rental building and we can't build a rental suite for the rental market it, it makes no sense like it's extremely yeah. hypocritical well that kind of ties into the another one of the, these promises that they've come out with which is
2: they want to review the taxes and how they're treating large corporate owners of residential property. So, you know, that could be somebody that's, ac- that's accumulated 10, 15, 20 residential properties through a corporation uh, or vehicles such as a real estate investment trust. And like right back to what you said, Dean, these are still people and companies that are purchasing real estate for the purpose of rental. Right, so those people are going to be hit with a higher tax because they feel that they're taking away home ownership from people, but at the same time they're providing rental units. Right,
1: so it's very contradicting. Well, I mean, we have a rental crisis too. It's like as much as our, you know, purchase market is out of control, so is rental rate. So if somebody's willing to, you know, add more rental property,
0: more housing into the market, that is such a benefit, such a positive that. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely need to open our eyes a little bit more to what what's happening in the US, or at least what's happened historically in the US, whereas they can claim not only their primary property as uh, a tax write-off, but m- rental properties. Like In the US, uh, when you buy and hold rental properties, you can essentially... Uh, claim those as tax deductible the the entire thing is basically a write-off so to speak and you can write off all the interests associated with that so there's a lot of incentives in the u.s to buy rental properties which is why they typically don't have shortages down there Um, something to think about up here and uh, something to look at instead of giving all the money as you mentioned to big developers that quite literally don't need any more um when there's other opportunities so with that being said i mean we've kind of covered a lot of the the big ones here but there's one one giant one that we haven't really touched on yet which is this one makes me laugh because this was like one of the cornerstones of the conversational tone or speeches that you'd hear out there which is foreign buyer you know uh exemptions or non-exemptions i should say bans and making it so foreign buyers can't buy a home in, in Canada unless they can do X, 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 So basically, the proposal is there's a temporary ban again temporary whatever that means on ownership in canada canadian housing for two years now i think the idea there is they think that within two years they'll be able to build all these other properties and and uh, put enough uh supply in the market that it'll kind of offset itself at that time but uh the, the second part to that is unless a purchase is confirmed before future employment or immigration in the next two years so how do they mandate that again, is my big question. And how are they putting that in place? No freaking clue. But the the interesting thing for me, um, and I hope this to be the case on this point, is that most of the foreign buyers that we work with, which are not very many, I'd argue less than 1% of our client base is a foreign buyer. Um, However, when they are, they're typically people coming from, let's say, the US. I've had some from Central America, South America, and other places that are just living here and working here and just trying to buy a home. And the PR process is so darn slow that they're just waiting and waiting and waiting to wait to get in. I, I haven't seen any of these so-car, so-called, you know, flippers from China or any other country or any of that ever. And we were just looking at the stats of foreign ownership in, in a couple of the large cities here in BC. And it's less than 2% like claimed. It's the I think less than that, actually. It's a very small amount. Yeah, it's dropped dramatically over the years. I mean, we went through a phase where we did have,
2: you know, like the Asian money coming in and flipping and and creating a bit of a, a, a or a massive uptick in property value. And that's what everyone wanted to get away with. And I think we successfully have with vacancy taxes and, and all these different taxes that have come into play to avoid that uh, foreign buyer tax, right? Like there's already measures in place for this. And I think that the majority of the foreign buyers that are purchasing, like you said, it's either for personal use, uh, it's, there's a ton of immigration, right? Like people kind of forget about how much immigration there is into Canada. And there's families overseas that want to purchase for their kids that are coming here to go to school, right? Or coming here to work. So hopefully that will still be allowed based on the guidelines that they put out here.
1: Keep in mind the the current foreign buyer tax that we have in BC is a BC specific tax for the province of BC, and not a federal tax. So this is something that would be in addition to that so that's pretty significant right away just because we know what those tax numbers look like they're massive Um, but also it's kind of interesting it does say that it's uh, unless the purchase is confirmed to be for future employment or immigration that wasn't the situation with our current tax in bc we have had americans purchase homes for the purpose of you know moving here to work for amazon as an example i've had that happen and they paid the foreign buyer tax well at least in this situation they could be exempt of that knowing that the the employment's there so there's a
0: little bit more clarity here a little bit more fairness in my opinion yeah yeah I, i couldn't agree more this is uh Uh, another one of those ones where they seem to be uh, targeting the wrong subset or the wrong audience and they need to be more accepting and more open to different ways to i guess maybe just validate the people here for obvious reasons so that's why i'm not against the fact that they're kind of making sure this is for a family member or someone of that nature who's occupying it the bigger thing is obviously occupying the property and the flipping thing which obviously they're addressing with the flipping tax piece right so I mean, yeah, I, I I think that that was a big talking point, but it's not really for us. It's never really an issue, and it's not something that I think we'll uh, we'll we'll have to continue to deal with. Not in the near term. Um, yeah,
2: I mean, sorry to cut you off. But no, that's okay. That, yeah, I mean, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I think that it's very unfortunate that you know we've rattled through all of the topics that really stuck out to us, and there was not one promise in here regarding mortgage or mortgage qualification right like some people are restricted at renewal because they've retired in the last five years they have to stay with their bank they don't have the ability to go to a different institution and you know different parties had plans to change that we're dealing with a massive stress test 25-year amortization so you look at property values going up becoming more and more out of reach right property values increasing and they're becoming more and more out of reach, yet the mortgages are getting harder to qualify for. But, you know, the government seems to think that a tougher mortgage qualification is going to help kind of soften property value, which it's just proven it doesn't work, right? People find a way, they find co they buy with family, they do the multi-generational component, right? So yeah, it's unfortunate there's nothing regarding mortgage qualification in these
0: plans. No question about that. I, I, I think you hit the nail ahead. It, as the CMHC guidelines and rules need to be changed. The primary issues that we see are, are 100% related, as you mentioned here, to things like people being not able to renew, even though they can easily make their payments at that point, and have been proven to do so for 20 or 30 years. The inability to adjust the amortization period, the 30-year amortization is a no-brainer for CMHC to start to consider. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, anything over a million dollars, which, again, we've noticed that they're, they've mentioned they're going to address this. I'm just not confident that they're going to address it in a, re- a decent amount of time. And I think the bigger concern here is even though they're planning to inject money into the communities or the municipalities to help build houses, there's no clear plan of action to do it. And it really is going to depend on the municipality to how they deal with that money and how they try to get more houses built. Now, one thing to kind of leave off here is the positive news for someone trying to get into the marketplace is that your property value is likely almost guaranteed to continue to go up no matter what these guys do to try and slow it down. It's, it's almost guaranteed, especially the way they're pumping money into the economy right now. We are seeing more housing starts than, than we have in recent history. There's a lot of people uh, trying to build right now that the market's basically just going to try to catch up to itself because immigration is going to open up again. Um, but your, your house value, based on everything we can see, is still safe so owning a home still a good idea
1: couldn't agree more absolutely
0: (laughs) all right so um if Everyone uh, has not already found or uh, figured this out and listening to this podcast here. You probably understand the fact that we're very passionate about these things and extremely passionate about the things that uh, the people that are making decisions about real estate, even though they have no idea what they're talking about or doing and don't consult anybody in the industry. Um, But if you have suggestions or feedback around these items or you want to know more or would like to get involved in in obviously your community talk to your mp make sure you have those kinds of conversations with those guys because they're the ones that want to do it if you just want to rant and complain feel free send us a message let us know give us some feedback as to what you would do here or what you foresee happening because we'd love to see that kind of feedback um and and definitely very interested in hearing from our audience so send us a dm uh, send us a message on our website Uh, You can find us at Thrive Mortgage Co. at the the YVR Remo Show. And we will continue to be here for you guys and perform for you on a weekly basis. Again, as always, show presented by Derek Williamson, Dean Lott, and myself, Alex McFadden. Thank you so much for checking us out. Leave a five-star review, and we'll see you next time.